Well, good morning again, everyone. Would you just take a minute, and if you have had at least one thing in the past week to feel joy about, would you just clap? It's, um, it's wonderful to share blessings, and it's wonderful to share joy. And that's why we're diving into this book that Paul wrote, this letter that he wrote to the church of Philippi, and we are calling it Joy, <laughs> Simply Joy. And it's a study of Philippians, and we are in part two of this four-part series. And this is the second message in our study. And while there are several themes and several discussion topics to choose from throughout this letter, and I pray that we are all exploring more of those in our life groups and in our individual studies as we go through uh, this, this book, this letter, each chapter by chapter, one of the main themes that we are focusing on together is the blessing of joy. And joy in any circumstances, joy in anything that comes because we have the Spirit within us. As Christ followers, we share that joy no matter what we face. And last week we kicked off this series by looking at chapter 1, joy in adversity or joy in suffering. And so I have just a little pop quiz for you if you were here last week. Um, It's a one-question quiz. From where was Paul writing this letter? Outstanding. (laughs) Excellent. He was writing it from prison. So when you take a look at the circumstances that he was under and you realize the joy that permeates through this letter, you can see that his circumstances are not dictating his joy, but the presence of the Spirit inside of him, his following of Jesus, that assurance that he has in following that brings him that joy. And by the way, for a bonus point, Philippi was the first church planted in what continent? Thank you, Europe. Outstanding, everybody. Wonderful job from last week. So Paul was writing to the church in Philippi. And as you can imagine with any church leader, Paul had several priorities. And we see these throughout his letters and throughout his writings in the New Testament. He's concerned about keeping solid relationships among the people in these churches that are being planted He wants to make sure these churches are sound doctrinally, and he's making sure that the local church represents the essence of Christ's life and Christ's teachings. And a revealing verse that shows this purpose that we can cross-reference is a verse that he writes in 1 Corinthians 4.17 about his friend Timothy as he writes a letter to the Corinthians. He says this to this church, That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Paul was very clear. He was crystal clear about his mission on this earth. The reason to Paul for the church and the reason for his suffering and his sacrifice to plant every church that he did and help grow every church that he planted was always constant And that is the goal of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ and making disciples in the image of Jesus. So we have to take this very seriously. We have to take it very seriously. What is the image that we are to reflect? And Paul talks so deeply and greatly about this throughout Philippians. And today we're going to talk about that joy that comes in serving. And to understand what it means to serve, we have to understand who Paul himself was serving and so I put a verse in here on your, on your notes from John 13, 14 and 15. Because a clear picture of Jesus and what he stood for and what he taught can be found on the night of the Passover feast. 
So I want to give a little context before we get into Philippians, and I want to focus on this verse, John 13, 14, and 15. It is here today, it is here in this moment of this Passover feast, where Jesus says the following to his disciples in this upper room in Jerusalem as he's preparing for his last day on earth. He says, I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so you also should wash one another's feet. I have given you an example. You should do as I have done for you. Now, as I was thinking about this sermon all week, I couldn't help but think of feet, um, especially mine. Um, when Beth and I first started dating, I was uh, teaching and coaching at, at Westwood, and I lived in a little apartment in Sloan. And, you know, when you're first dating, you're very nice and kind and don't say much uh, to hurt someone else's feelings. But as we continued to date, Beth did note that there was a particular smell to my apartment. And as I look back on those years, here's the deal. I played a lot of basketball back then, almost every day. The problem was I didn't do laundry every day. And so uh, socks would be piled up in different places in my apartment, and I guess I didn't notice, but to someone else, someone who I especially wanted to impress, she did. <laughs> Feet aren't the prettiest thing, are they? <laughs> Feet aren't always the most glamorous or the most glorious thing. And so I think that's why it's very interesting that in ancient times, the feet, before someone was to enter a house, the feet would need to be washed. They would need to be cleaned. And Jesus gives this perfect example of servant leadership when he himself washes the feet of the disciples. You see, in those days, it was typical for slaves to wash feet. But Jesus washes the feet of his disciples, and he wants them to take note of it. And here's what I think he's teaching here. That leadership, that influence of others, comes through lowliness. It comes from humility. It comes from an act of having the interests of others ahead of ourselves. That is true influence. That is true leadership, and it's rooted in humility. And Jesus makes a critical point of acting that out in one of the last things that he does for his disciples on this earth. At a typical Passover meal, the participants would not be sitting as we sit around a dinner table today, but they would be reclining with their heads facing the center and their feet stretched out behind them. And oftentimes they would support themselves on one elbow and reach for food with the other. And that's how they sat in meals like this. And so as a participant of a meal, you could be having your feet washed and not even notice the person who's washing your feet. We may take for granted those people who do those acts of service, and yet it was Jesus' washing of the feet that is so important because it's that example of servant leadership. One other note about the Passover meal that's critically important to capture this true image, this true essence of Jesus, as Paul's going, or excuse me, as Paul's going to describe in Philippians 2. Passover meals typically would revolve around the sacrifice of a one-year-old lamb, sometimes a goat, but most often, most often a lamb. And so during this time, you can imagine at the market square, thousands of sacrifices being, being done during a day. And the roasted lamb that came from that sacrifice became part of the meal. And so in this supper of Passover week, in the upper room in Jerusalem, Passover is being celebrated. And Jesus takes it upon himself to have this last act of service for his disciples. But here's another critical question that would come for every family during Passover. 
Oftentimes it was the men who took the lamb in. Maybe they would take a younger son or two with them. But the question was this for everyone else back in the house, because not everybody could go to make the sacrifice. How was it that all people in the house would be equal participants in the Passover sacrifice if they themselves didn't go and make the sacrifice? Difficult question to sort through. How does this bless everyone in a particular family? And so it was custom and culture of the time that those who all partook in the meal, those who all ate the meat of the sacrificial lamb, became partners at the altar. That was a very culturally significant moment in a Passover feast. It was the benefits of the sacrifice that would come to you as well. And so I think it's very interesting and incredibly important for us as we think about communion, that it's during this meal that Jesus interrupts it. We see it in Matthew 26. Jesus interrupts the meal. He lifts up the bread and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body. And then he partakes in the wine and he said, this is my blood poured out for you in the new covenant. When you eat this bread, when you drink this wine, he is essentially saying, you are joining me at the altar. He is saying, I am going to be sacrificed. This is my altar and in this presence you are partaking with me. You know, I'm really starting to understand more and more as I understand the history of all of this, why we take it so seriously to have weekly communion here. We have to always go back to that moment, that symbolically significant moment of communion. That's why we take it so seriously. This act of communion is a foundational symbol of our communion with Jesus. And so it's in this upper room, as we get ready to go into Philippians 2, I want to frame this upper room here. Jesus is making two critical points to his disciples. Number one, the cross, where I'm heading, is going to be the center of who you are. And number two, we should wash the feet of our neighbors. Maybe not literally, but you get the imagery now, don't you? We should be constantly focused and worried and concerned about the needs of others ahead of us. This is what Jesus is teaching. This is the example he's lived, and in the very final days on this earth, this is the example that he's showing. So as we get into Philippians 2, I want to ask you three questions today. Do you love God with all your heart? Because Jesus commands us, love your God with all your heart. Number two, do you love your neighbor? As yourself? Do you love your neighbor at that same level? And number three, are you ready to give your life to service to this world in my name? Those are the critical questions that we need to be constantly wrestling with as Christ followers, as members of his church. As one New Testament scholar has written, it is precisely because Jesus was willing to adopt the humbling model of foot washing that we as his disciples cannot treat humility as merely a nice idea that is unrelated to Christian life. Humility is our Christian life. And that's the joy in serving. You see, Paul got this. And he is concerned throughout his entire ministry that how he lives and what he teaches is specifically aligned to the nature and example of Christ. So as we move into chapter 2 of Philippians, our focus turns to the joy that comes in serving. Specifically, what does a servant's mind think? How does a servant's mouth speak? And what does a servant's heart feel? And our guiding verse is from Philippians 2, 3 through 4. 
Paul tells us then, make my joy complete by by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, value others above yourselves. As we go into Philippians 2 this morning, and as we dig deeply into it this week through your life group study, your individual study, we need to test ourselves in these three areas of servanthood. How do we think? What do we say? Where are our hearts? Do they conform to the Jesus that we learn about in the Gospels? Do they conform to the Jesus who Paul sacrifices his life for to spread the word about? That nature of Christ is found throughout Paul's writing in Philippians 2. And so we start with a servant's mind. A servant's mind thinks of others first. Thinks of others first. Let's go to verse 5 through 7 in chapter 2. Paul writes, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself, listen to this, made himself of no reputation, And took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. The Savior of the world comes in a manner in which he makes himself below those who he serves. Is that that not the most amazing truth of the gospel? And he came for you and he came for me. You know, one of the most invaluable lessons I ever got was one of the most subtle about serving others, about looking after somebody else. My grandfather, years and years ago, when I was a teenager, would catch me. Um, Once in a while, if I was dating somebody, that person may come to church with me, and he always noted how we entered a pew. (laughs) He told me, Jeff, when you enter a pew, when you enter a seat, you stop, you let the girl go in front of you, and then you go behind her. He was also very adamant about making sure that I opened a door for every female in my life. Now, guys, I don't know how often we open doors today for the women in our life, but what that subtle message, I think, is sending is simply this. This little act of kindness, this little act of acknowledgement says, you are first, I follow. Small things, but yet they can be big things. In what ways, we ask ourselves, in what ways, big and small, are we putting others ahead of ourselves? In Matthew Henry's commentary, he writes that Christians must be of Christ's mind. We must bear a resemblance to his life if he would have the benefit, if we would have the benefit of his death. He alludes to two key verses, Romans 8, 9 and Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, when he says this. He, allu- he says this, if we have not the spirit of Christ, we are none of his. So what is the mind of Christ? He was eminently humble, and this is what we are particularly to learn from him. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And Matthew Henry writes, if we are lowly-minded, we should be like-minded. And if we are like Christ, we should be lowly-minded. We must walk in the same spirit and in the same steps with the Lord Jesus, who humbled himself to sufferings and death for us not only to satisfy God's justice and pay, for the price of, pay the price for our redemption, but to set us an example that we might follow his steps. 
So we begin with what our minds think. Do our minds lead us to think of others first? I'm going to come back to item number two. I'm going to close with that. I'm going to get right into the next thing. And this doesn't need a lot of commentary. But a servant's mouth always builds and never destroys. If I'm truly thinking of others, if I'm truly thinking of the needs of those around me, my words are powerful however I choose to use them. My words should always have the goal of building others up with encouragement. My words should never seek to destroy. My words should never seek to tear somebody down. Now that doesn't mean I can't speak hard truths to people if they need to. But what it means is I am never gossiping about somebody. I'm never insulting somebody or using my words to intentionally bring someone down or hurt them. My words are always going to build. Philippians 2, 14 through 16 says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. I said this last week, I'm going to say it again. There is nothing that hurts our witness more to people who don't know Jesus or who may be just on the fringes trying to figure out what our faith is all about than to spend our time in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods and in our gatherings doing nothing but complaining and arguing and bickering and gossiping. It's not consistent with the nature of Christ, and it's not consistent with the faith that Paul has planted, and it's not consistent with who we are, our best, in Jesus. It's just that simple. So we ask ourselves daily, are my words building, or are my words destroying? It's critically important. Number three, where is our heart? A servant's heart finds joy in humility. Philippians 2, back to 2, 3 through 4, we're reminded again that make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, value others above yourselves. You know, I think there's a reason why some of the service projects that are popping up through our life groups and that are going on around this church have taken off and caught some flame. Because there's real joy when we humble ourselves, when we open up our hearts to other people. And that energy and that enthusiasm and that momentum begins to carry as we see more and more ways that we can serve, that we can help, that we can guide. We need to be constantly village, or excuse me, constantly vigilant about building our hearts to have the capacity to love others, to humble ourselves in front of others, and to give of ourselves as Christ gave for us. So that's what a heart looks like. That's what our words look like. That's what our minds should be thinking like. And I want to close with this. And I think it's a promise that we find in Philippians 2, 8 through 10. And I want to read it to you here because this is, this is, how, this is what happens with Jesus Paul writes, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus, before the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth 
and things under the earth. You see, Jesus in his humility, Jesus in his, in his servanthood is exalted. And I'm going to make this statement. I believe that when we are Christ-like, we too are exalted. We're not only exalted toward eternity, but we are exalted here on, the, on earth. God exalts his servants. Now, that, that may not be financially. <laughs> that may not be in prestige or power. But what I do believe is that when we take a humble heart, God will help us work out situations that we face here on this earth, and he will help exalt us through them. I'm going to give you a very specific example. But I, I tried to think of an example that was relevant to me, but you could fill in the blanks for yourselves as well, because I want to assume that everybody has been in this kind of a position. Have you ever been in a position in any relationship that you've had where there's maybe something that you needed, something someone else needed, and maybe you couldn't agree? Ever had that kind of a conflict facing you? Where you're sort of having to sort something out. You're sort of having to settle something. And I think about this as clear as day. I've been working or I have worked as a, as a school administrator for a lot of years. And the one job as a superintendent that I do not enjoy is negotiating over money. It's hard. Because I know that the people I'm negotiating with want and deserve what they deserve but I also know that I have to keep control of what the budget is. And so there's always this, this give and take, and it's difficult. And I remember, and if you go back to about 2008, 2009, you remember what happened to the economy? We're getting ready to build a $9 million building. Our budget, as I just started that position, I saw the budget going like this. And I thought to myself, what in the world are we going to do? And the very first night that we met to negotiate, the lead negotiator looks at me, looks at the two board members with me and says, we're going to seek 8%. There's no sense even bothering. If you're not going to come back with it, we'll just go to arbitration. <laughs> okay, wow. Where did that come from? I, I, and, and I immediately got my dander up. I, I immediately started getting angry, and I wanted to come out kind of, well, I was a little proud about that, you know? Took a breath. Next day, I called our, our, our attorney. And Jim Hanks, I'm going to mention his name. I don't think he would have a problem if I did. Jim Hanks has been like a guardian angel to me in so many ways. A, a very deep thinker, a very smart guy about the law, but he's also a very spiritual man. And he said to me, Jeff, here's what you need to think about. And I want to hope this applies to everybody with whatever situations you face when it comes to having to be humble. Specific to my need in this situation, here's what he said to me. Jeff, here's the deal. you got a job to do. You have to manage that budget. If you don't manage that budget, it's going to affect your ability to lead. So you've got to make that a priority. He goes, I, I serve over 100 schools. I advise 100 different people, and I've seen it go two ways, and you can choose. You can choose to, and other people do it this way, you can put the stick in your hand, and you can start poking the other person in the eye with it. And they'll poke you back in the eye, and you can get personal, and this can get really contentious, and it can get really ugly, and at the end of the day, you can probably still win, Right? Or, he said, in the name of reconciliation, in the name of having a good working relationship, you can humble yourself, you can try to understand where they're coming from, and then you can try to build some bridges. Well, it turns out that the year before, this same negotiator with the previous superintendent had been threatened to step outside and fight. <laughs> I can't make this up. So there's that history. There was history in this, these negotiations where the person across the table would literally turn his back to them as they were presenting, and not even acknowledge them. So you can imagine being new and not knowing who I was, they were going to come out both fists ready to go. And I very easily, I think that night, could have responded, and we could have had the melee on. 
but it changed my whole view of a negotiation of any kind. And in a, in a way, don't we negotiate every day with people around us in decisions that we're having to make? I had to reconcile before I could negotiate. I had to make sure things were reconciled before I could serve. I had to make sure that I reconciled before we could do anything together. And so I changed my approach. And year after year, I simply did this. I worked as hard as I could to put, it, put that budget together, and I sat down and I said, can we talk about ter- things in terms of we? How's this going to affect us together? And I'm not saying that everything goes perfect, and I'm not saying that everything get, everybody gets what always that they want. But I can tell you that that changed the face of how we related to each other. Because here's what Jim said to me. Jeff, you can pick one path or the other. The real question is this. Who do you want to look at in the morning when you look in the mirror? Who do you want to look at in how you handle people? Do you want to treat them arrogantly or do you want to treat them humbly? And yes, I took a chance that by being as humble as I could, I could get walked on a little bit. I was willing to take that chance. Right, wrong, or indifferent, but I learned so much through that process, and here's where it really matters to me. So many of those people who have sat across those tables over the years, when they hear I'm going into the ministry, I don't want them to go, he's going into the ministry? You should have seen the way he he talked to us at the table. You should have seen the way he treated us. Do you understand this? How we treat others, how we act in humility, how we serve others is everything about our witness. And I look back over the years and I pray that I didn't do anything that would have affected my witness. Proverbs 22.4 tells us this. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. You see, as life moves on, as we all go our different ways, someday I'm going to see all of them again. We're going to interact. We're going to cross-reference. We're going to see each other. And I want to know what legacy did I leave behind. I want to know that I treated people well there, as best I could. That's the joy in serving. I want you to think about this. The people that we interact with, I don't want them to leave the interactions with us and say they call themselves Christians. Look at the way they treat people. Look at the way they talk to people, the way they act about themselves. Folks, our humility is our greatest witnessing tool for Christ. And we have to take the chance and set aside what the world tells us about exalting ourselves and taking care of ourselves first. We have to be countercultural there. And we have to say that our first responsibility in a world that tells us to exalt ourselves is to do the exact opposite and to exalt everyone else around us first. That is servant leadership. That is service to Christ. And every one of you here today is going to go influence somebody tomorrow. And that's the mindset that we have to have. Let me ask you something. When's the last time you heard a rational person say, you know, I just can't stand so-and-so. They're just so humble. They're always quietly taking care of other people. They just drive me crazy. When's the last time you ever heard somebody really ripping on a humble person? You know why? Because when we're humble, when we are acting in service, it draws people in. When we act arrogantly, we push people away. It's simple human nature. You can win anything in the short term. That's what Jim was trying to tell me. You can win anything in the short term. But if you are arrogant in the long term, you're always going to lose something. You're always going to lose something. Matthew 23, 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. We need to really think about that. In all my years of working with school and church, 
in all of those years, I can tell you this with certainty. Humility is always rewarded, and pride and arrogance is eventually humbled. And sometimes it's humbled at the price of enormous pain. I've seen it for myself. And I've also learned this. As Christ followers, and I know this is true for me especially, and I have to take the lead and the example on this, but as Christ followers, I have to literally practice every single day the prayer, the daily prayer for God to renew constantly a servant's heart in me. Because the world and our circumstances too many times tell us to think that this is about us. It's about our talents, our skills, everything that we do, and we very quickly lose sight of the fact that everything we have, everything we do, is given to us as a gift from God. And the minute I start venturing away from that, the minute any of us start venturing away from that, pride becomes to, begins to set in, and we lose that sense of humility. That's our encouragement today. I'm not afraid, I'm not ashamed to say this. Every single time I enter any encounter, whether I'm visiting a family whether I am dealing with a conflict, everywhere I go, I've gotten into the habit of saying a prayer before every meeting, before every time I'm together with anybody. Father, give me a humble heart. Give me guidance. Give me strength. I'm not sure what we're going to be dealing with here, but give me the heart and the mind to deal with it. I've got to lean on that. We have to lean on that. So here is applying servanthood. Leadership is influence. And everyone in this sanctuary is going to influence someone this week. I assure you of that. Every single one of you is going to influence at least one other person this week. And so I ask you, I challenge you, I challenge me. In our own lives, how do our thoughts, how do our words, how do our hearts and actions measure up to the example of Christ's example of servanthood? And guys, if that means you start opening the doors for your wives, go for it. How can we serve? How can we put others first? And how do we find joy in everything we say, everything we think, and where our hearts are? We need to take seriously these two verses as we pray every day. John 13, 13 through 14, and Philippians 2, 3 and 4. In our daily prayers, we need to be reminded of the lesson of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, and we need to be reminded to put others in front of ourselves. And we have to have the courage and the strength and the faith. That's key, the faith to do so. You know, preparing for this morning, Josh and I discussed the closing song. And we immediately thought of great is thy faithfulness. And here's why. There's a great verse in there, in that great, great song. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. And here's the line that just stands out to me. All I have needed... Thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. It is so much easier to show humility when we know and truly trust that our God, our Creator, provides us already with everything we need. And when we have that assurance of His faithfulness, we are freed up to show that same faithfulness to others. And it builds in us a spirit of humility. It builds in us a spirit of caring more for those around us because we're not so worried about what this world's going to offer me. We have that assurance. We have that assurance in Christ. And so we take that with us. This is the joy in serving that Paul urges the Philippians church and he urges us today to experience. There is true joy in living lives that put others ahead of ourselves. 
Would you join me in prayer? Father God, as we continue to follow the wisdom of Paul in this letter to the Philippians, I pray that you will continually work on our minds. Help us to continually look for ways to put those around us first. Father, work in our hearts to acknowledge the needs of others around us, to have a heart, a true heart for people. Father, help guard our words, guard our actions to always be uh, used in ways that will build and support and grow. Give us wisdom to discern when we have to say tough words, but always give us a heart to know that our words are meant to encourage and build and help those around us. And Father, I just pray as we head out into this week that we can continue to see around us the joy, the joy that comes from our walk with you, our walk with each other, and the opportunities that await us. Father, we just continue to build and grow and find new ways to share your gospel wherever we are. We thank you for all your blessings, and we thank you for the joy that we have in serving wherever you are called for us to be. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.